Brotherly Pod. Here it is, Tuesday, October 12, 2021. Here, and uh, NHL starts. I guess we're still a couple days away from the Indy Flyers. They don't play till Friday, but uh, games around the league are starting to happen. The regular season is finally here, and I know Anthony is excited about that. Anthony, how are you doing today? I'm very excited, man. Really looking forward to getting into the actual regular season and a real season at that. And, uh, you know, last year was you know, it was what it was, and we all understand why they had to do it. But now that we could have a full season with traveling and not just interdivisional games, I'm really, really pumped for it. Yeah, I don't want to see the Flyers play the Sabres eight times a year ever again. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we'll talk Flyers in a little bit here. But first, we're going to talk about one of the more interesting Metro Division teams out there, uh, the New York Rangers. And to do that, we have uh, Colin Stevenson from Newsday Sports to help us. Colin, how are you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're, uh, you know, I'm getting a little excited myself going down to uh, Washington. Uh, uh, the Rangers open the season there. Um, you might have heard that Tom Wilson plays for the Capitals, and and you may have, <laughs> you may have heard that uh, you know there was uh, some uh, rough stuff in uh, in a game late last season. So you know we're eagerly looking forward to see uh, what happens down there on Wednesday night. So the Rangers, uh, you know, they made quite a few moves in the offseason to combat those issues. Guys like Ryan Reeves, Gar- uh, Bart Clay Goudreau. Were those additions specifically to combat Wilson, or was the physicality something the team was lacking overall? No, I, yeah, I mean, I think it's the second. Uh, you know, it was lacking overall. It was something that um, really for years... You know, we had known it. We had seen it. Uh, they, they, you know, they look. They had a. They were in a rebuild, um, which, you know, they they uh, they announced in February of 2018, and then they got a lot of uh, notoriety for it and a lot of goodwill among the fan base by letting the fan base in on saying, "Hey, listen, we have to we have to do this. We're closing the window. We're gonna we're gonna start from scratch." Uh, and and the and there was a clear and definite sort of. Um, plan for the rebuild right so they they, they stockpiled the uh, draft picks and prospects um they accumulated uh they, they they couldn't seem to draft enough defensemen i mean it was almost one of those things you know like you can never have too many defensemen well they went out and they got a, a bunch of defensemen so they they you know they had they were methodical in in putting together the, their plan for the rebuild and 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 how they were going to do it and the the you know so first it was defensemen and then it was skill 
and then the the grit and toughness part kind of came at the end. Um, and uh, and so we you know we all knew it was going to happen. And I think uh, you know what caught everyone's attention was was the Washington incident with Tom Wilson and stuff. Uh, and then of course you know the next day the the president and, and general manager uh, uh, or, or two days later I guess it was the president and general manager uh, John Davidson and Jeff Gordon were let go by by the ownership. Um, so, so yes, it, it does look as though it's a response to that, but it wasn't really the, you know, the, the Islanders had, um, had basically destroyed their playoff hopes because the Islanders were just tougher and grittier and, and the, and the Rangers couldn't, uh, couldn't match up with them. So, I mean, that was always part of the plan. Um, and, uh, you know, it's just a delicious thing that we get, uh, we get Washington right off the bat and then, and, and we'll see how the plan, uh, how well the plan worked. You bring up the departures of former President John Davidson and General Manager Jeff Gordon. And do you think there was a direct correlation between their firings and what happened against the Capitals last season? Or were those firings just a long time coming, even beyond what happened against Tom Wilson? Well, I, long time coming is, is probably, uh, I wouldn't say it was a long time coming, no. Uh, I think they had a plan. I think they had a rebuild plan, which had been signed off on by the owner, which had been signed off on by uh, Glenn Sather, who was the team president at the, at the time the plan was put into place. And I think everything was going according to plan. I think what happened, it, you know, it, I can't say specifically it was just the Tom Wilson thing, because I think the week before they got embarrassed by the Islanders too. And that's not a, it's not a good thing. You know, when you have a rivalry uh, like that, and there are there are a few of them around the league. You know, the two Florida teams come to mind. Um, uh, you know, and and L.A. Anaheim. You know, it's it's just. Uh, but this one was probably the original one, right? I mean, the original sort of um, the teams share the same area, same media market kind of rivalry, um, and it goes back a long way back to the mid '70s. And so it was really, really embarrassing for them to just go in against the Islanders you know, with a playoff spot on the line and just get battered around and be completely non-competitive. So I wouldn't say that, that the Tom Wilson thing was the, the only reason or the main reason, but it certainly, you know, it was certainly the, you know, the, the last straw is the way I would put it, I guess. The other uh, major change was behind the bench. Uh, David Quinn let go. They brought in Gerard Gallant, veteran coach. Does this kind of signify go time as, as far as putting a competitive team out on the ice every night? Yep. Yep. That's exactly what it is. Uh, you know, listen, the, when they hired David Quinn uh, at the start of the rebuild, first of all, they announced the rebuild and Alain Vigneault was the coach at the time. Uh, and they started trading away players and stuff. And, and then, you know, there's no point in keeping Vigneault here uh, at that time. So he had to let, had to be let go. And they brought in David Quinn and it was, it was with in mind, uh, uh, you know, that, they needed a guy who was going to be a developmental coach who was going to, you know, they were going to be bringing a lot of young guys and they needed someone who would be able to teach those guys and groom those guys and hold them accountable and kind of, you know, help them grow up. Um, and so I think they wanted all along, you know, a, a college coach uh, or, or, you know, a junior coach or somebody that had worked with young guys uh, who could relate to them on a, on a, on a different um, and would be patient and all that kind of stuff uh, in, in a, in a different way than, than a, a coach like Vigneault or, or a veteran coach such as Gallant. And now, 
you know, after three years of David Quinn, when a lot of these guys have grown up, you know, Filipino now is 22. Looks like, you know, he just came off a hat trick in the last preseason game. Uh, so it looks like he's, uh, you know, he's about ready to, to, to pop. Capo uh, Caco, um, you know, has had a, a monstrous preseason, and he looks as though he's ready to, to, to go. Um, so, you know, you get to that point where you feel like, okay, the young guys have, have made a certain amount of progress, and now it's time for us to take the next step. And, and I think, you know, the decision was made that, okay, David Quinn had done his job. He'd gotten them, you know, from point A to point B. Now we need somebody to get them from point B, you know, to cup contention. And, and, and they needed a veteran coach, and, and it so happened that Gallant was available, and, and, and there you go. Two days ago, they lock up first-line center Mika Zibanejad to an eight-year contract extension worth $68 million. And do you think that kind of takes them out of the Jack Eichel race that they have been tied to ever since going back to May or so? I do. I do. I think um, realistically, if you look at um, their cap situation with an $81.5 million salary cap, I, I don't think there's room on the roster to have both Mika Zibanejad and Jack Eichel next year. I think it was always an either-or proposition. Now, there was, a, there was a point at which they, they probably, if they could have gotten Eichel for this season, they could have made it work financially this season uh, because Zibanejad's still in the final year of his contract, which pays him only, I think, uh, a cap hit of $5.35 million, I think. Um, but beyond this season, it was, it was not going to be able to work you weren't going to be able to have both of those guys because not only were you going to have to re-sign Zibanejad, but you also are going to have to re-sign uh, Adam Fox uh, coming off his rookie deal. This is the final year of his rookie deal. Um, and, you know, the guy only won the Norris Trophy last season. So, uh, you know, if you look at what uh, players like him, comparables are around the league are making, I mean, it's it's a roughly nine, $9 million is where you start now, I think, you know, if you look at what Kale McCarr got and, you know, what Seth Jones and some of those other guys have gotten. So, um, you know, it's, uh, it, it would not have been uh, feasible to keep both Zibanejad and Jack Eichel. So it was always an either-or proposition. And now that they've signed Zibanejad, I, I, I would think that, you know, barring something completely unexpected, I, I would think that they're out of the Jack Eichel sweepstakes, yes. You know, you mentioned Adam Fox, 23 years old, entering his third year in the league, reigning Norris Trophy winner. For those that may not know, what exactly does this guy bring to the table on a nightly basis? Wow. Wow. Well, I tell you what, <laughs> we all knew when, when, they, uh, when they got him, right, you know, that, that he was a guy who could run your power play and was an offensive guy. And I think what those of us who have been lucky enough to watch him for the past uh, two years learned over those two years is that he's not a one-way guy he's a two-way guy i mean he can play defense i mean no he's not big and he's not physical he's not going to hit people um but he plays defense with his brain right so he's he's in proper position is uh he's got a good stick a quick stick you know he takes the puck off people um and he ends up being um you know, he's not a, a a guy who plays on the third pair and runs your power play. I mean, this is a guy, he's a top pair guy. Uh, he can shut people down in addition to, you know, what he gives you offensively. And so, uh, you know, what it is, is it's just a, an incredible vision of the ice, right? I mean, he sees people who are open um, that maybe, you, you know, you weren't thinking of. He sees passing lanes that are open uh, and he's got a, a nice touch on his pass, you know I mean? So he, you know, he can uh, set up 
Mika Zibanejad in that left circle for that one timer, for instance. But uh, yeah, and he knows when to go to the net. I mean, you know, he's going to score his share goals as well. I mean, so he's he's just a he's a complete package. Um, and you wouldn't necessarily he's an unassuming guy. I mean, he's not, you know, he's not six three and, and two twenty. You know, he's five eleven and a hundred and I think he, they probably list him at one ninety by now, maybe one eighty something. Um, he's not a big guy by any means. Uh, and he's not a flashy guy, you know, I mean, if you, you know, I think of, uh, when Tony D'Angelo was, was on the Rangers, I mean, that was a guy who, you know, whose skating really stood out. Um, and he did things that really stood out. I don't know that Adam Fox stands out in that way. He just makes the right play. He makes a pass that you didn't, you didn't see coming. Uh, and again, you know, in his own end, that's, that's where the surprise is because he's a, he's a much, much better defensive player than any of us, uh, believed he was going to be. Staying on the topic of Adam Fox, you kind of already touched on this a bit, but as far as his contract extension goes, do you think they're just going to hand him the Kale McCarr type of contract and then, you know, get the ink to paper? Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I don't see I don't see uh, any other way to do it. I mean, he's, he's not going to be a UFA, obviously. He's going to be a restricted free agent, but he's also a local guy, don't forget. He's, uh, you know, he's from Long Island. So, I mean, he grew up, you know, lifelong Ranger fan and, you know, it's a great story and stuff. So he's, he's very popular, but, but he really, you know, what he does on the ice, you know, re, you know, regardless of the local guy aspect, what he does on the ice, you know, really reminds people, I mean, people put him in the same sentence as Brian Leach, you know, I mean, and, and you know, that's a hall of fame guy. So uh, I don't, you know, this is not a guy that they can afford to monkey around with. Uh, they can't afford to have any acrimony with him. I think that, you know, that'll all be, be done and handled. And, uh, and I, I think Adam is not that kind of guy anyway, that, that would want any acrimony. I don't think he's looking to break the bank. I think uh, he's just going to get um, what he deserves. And, you know, he's got plenty of comparables uh, out there. Uh, and I don't, I, I don't expect it to be a, to be an issue if that's what you mean. I mean, I, I think that, yeah, I mean, he'll get his 9 million or whatever, maybe, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less, but around that. Um, and I think, uh, you know, they'll, they'll, uh, they'll move on, uh, very quickly and, uh, get that done and, and, and set about on the business. With the return of the Metropolitan Division this year back to normal, it looks like at least six or seven of the eight teams could theoretically make the playoffs this year. What is the Rangers' kind of internal mindset? What are they shooting for this year? What are their expectations? Well, I mean, I think this is the year where they have to make the playoffs, right? I mean, every every year prior to this, you know, when we didn't expect them to make the playoffs, they, they wouldn't rule it out, and they said they were going to try and make the playoffs, and it was a goal to make the playoffs and all that. But I think this year... Uh, and, and when you fire the team president and the general manager, <laughs> and the owner basically says it's time to make the playoffs. You have to make the playoffs. Um, so I think that they've, uh, you know, they've, they've put a team together that they believe uh, is good enough to make the playoffs. And, and if, if there's a question, um, you know, around the trade deadline of, of an element that's missing that they need, I think that they have the depth to go out and acquire that element. You know, they, they have the depth, um, they have the salary cap flexibility to acquire a rental for this season, you know, at the trade deadline. And, and they have plenty of prospects. Believe me, they have uh, they have defense prospects, you know, they don't know what to do with that are playing now that they had to send down to, to uh, you know, to their AHL team in Hartford. Uh, they sent down Zach Jones, who who came up and played 10 games for them at the end of last season and had a, had a 
great training camp. They sent down, and he was a third round pick. They sent down Matthew Robertson, you know, who was a, a second round pick. They sent down Braden Schneider, who was a, you know, uh, I think first or second round pick. I forget. Um, and 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 really, yesterday uh, uh, on Monday, when they had to be roster compliant, um, in something of a surprise move, they they sent down Vitaly Kravtsov. Uh, who's the you know their first of three first round picks in 2018, and who we thought for sure was going to make the team, and it doesn't mean that he won't be back very soon. I mean, it was you know you know how these things go with he didn't require waivers to go down, and there's other guys you know Libor Hayek I think uh, who uh, is here as an eighth defenseman who would require waivers to go down, and they they probably feared losing him uh, to a waiver claim, and so I don't know if they're trying to work out a deal or whatever. So I, I imagine Kravtsov will be back soon, but the point is. Um, they've got a ton of prospects uh, that are either already playing in Hartford or coming soon. So they have assets that they can move to get a guy if they feel like, you know, there's something that we're missing and something that we need to to put us over the top. Uh, You know, so I I expect that they would probably be active around the trade deadline if they feel the need to, because they're all in. They have to make the playoffs this year. They just have to. Speaking of young players, the 2020 first overall picks, Alexis Lafreniere, had 21 points in 56 games last season. Not a horrible first season, but I saw that in training camp he was getting some reps on the top line alongside Zabanejad and Chris Kreider. Where is his place ultimately to start the season on the depth chart, and do you expect a big season from Lafreniere? Yes, and yes. Um, he's uh, he, he is what you said. I mean, he's... Um, from day one, they started these lines. I think, uh, you know, look, Gerard Gallant is, you know, he's coming in here. He doesn't know these players. Uh, he got hired over the summer. Um, you know, there, because of COVID, uh, he didn't come, you know, normally when they hire a coach in the summer, they, they bring him in and, and they have a big, uh, press conference at the garden and a gala event. And, you know, they fly players in from out of town that come, and be there and stuff. And, and the guys around and stuff, none of that because of COVID he stayed, you know, he did his, his press conference uh, via zoom, you know, from his home in, in, uh, in Canada. Um, so he, he really doesn't know this team and this group at all. And, and I think his strategy from, from what it appears has been, Hey, listen, let's not, let's not necessarily fix what doesn't appear to be broken. Uh, as of right now, um, you know, David Quinn found in the two years he had them together that uh, Mikas Banajad and Artemi Panarin actually worked better on separate lines. And, and Panarin uh, struck up a, an amazing chemistry with Ryan Strom. Uh, Zibanejad had good chemistry with Kreider and Pavel Buchnevich. And so, you know, so that was kind of what was in place. Now he traded Buchnevich, so there's an opening on that top line with Zibanejad and Kreider. And he kept Panarin and Strom together, and he put Capo Caco on their right wing. And so, and so, yes, Lafreniere is getting a first crack at playing on that top line with Zibanejad and Kreider. Um, and, you know, because Kreider and, and, and Lafreniere are both left wings, in order for them both to be on the line, one of them had to shift to the right. And the first... The first truck, uh, the first one to do it was uh, Lafreniere because he was a young guy and they tried him on the right side and that lasted less than one period and they put him back on the left and put Kreider, who's a more veteran guy, um, on the right side. And so we haven't really actually seen much of that in the preseason, to be honest. Uh, 
But, uh, you know, but that's, that's the way they'll start anyway. So it'll be Lafreniere, Zabanajad, Kreider. Uh, it'll be Panarin, Strom, and Kako. Uh, and I do expect that Lafreniere will have a big year. Um, yes, he, he didn't have eye-popping numbers, but you got to remember last year was last year. There was no training camp to speak of. They had 10 days of practice and no preseason games and then just thrown right in, you know. And I think, uh, um, you know, Lafreniere started slowly. Uh, I think, you know, he, he went six games without a point. I think he had like one goal in 15 games or something like that to start the season. Um, and then, so obviously you can see if he started the season slowly for the first 15 games in, in the last 40 or so, I mean, he, he, you know, he, he picked up his production and stuff. So I would expect that this year with a full training camp, with preseason games and a lot of ice time, now he's playing first line minutes. Uh, he might even kill some penalties too. You know, that remains to be seen. Um, you know, I, I would expect that you will see numbers that um, are closer to what you might have expected from him this year. Their goaltending tandem, Shesterkin, signed a big contract in the offseason. Despite the trade whispers, Georgiev still with the team. This has to make them one of the best goaltending tandems in the East right now, no? Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's still, yes. You would say if they're healthy and stuff. It's still, to me, a little bit unproven. Um, Shesterkin has had groin injuries in each of the, his first two seasons. Uh, and so, you know... And neither of those, by the way, was an 82-game season. Um, you know, 2019-20 got cut short after 70 games. Um, and obviously last season was 56 games. So, you know, if we're going into an 82-game season where you would say Shesterkin's going to be the number one guy, um, I looked up his numbers. He's never played more than 35 games in a season. That was last season. So if you're expecting this guy's going to play 45, 50 games – you know, I think he still has to prove it, right? He still has to he still has to hold up physically. Now, he joked with us uh, at his first media availability in training camp that, you know, he did so much flexibility that he's basically like a gymnast now. Um, and and that's, that's good, right? So we'll see. I mean, you know, to me, the jury's out a little bit. You know, when he's healthy, he's great. And, you know, I got no questions about that. But I, I do wonder whether... You know, this is this will be the first year where he gets to carry the load as the as the number one guy for a full eighty two game season. And then, you know, if you look at Georgiev, Georgiev is uh, you know she have two twenty five year old Russian guys. Um, and Georgiev has played for Russia at you know world junior level and and world championship level. So I mean he's he's not chopped liver. He's a pretty good goalie, but he also is not coming off a great season last year. Um, his his save percentage was the lowest it's been. I think nine oh six. Uh, lowest has been in his career. Um, so I think he needs to bounce back a little bit. And I think there's a, you know, he's sort of, and he won't say it, he won't come right out and say it, but I think he is, I don't want to say, I don't want the right word is, but I think he would love to be in a situation where he would have a chance to be the number one or at least compete for number one minutes. And I don't know that that exists here. So I don't know what that does to a guy mentally. Can Can he... Like, it was one thing when he was here playing once every two weeks and the other guy was Henrik Lundqvist, you know. Um, he was 22 and, and the other guy was Henrik Lundqvist. But now he's 25 and the other guy is not Henrik Lundqvist. You know, will he be able to mentally handle um, playing once every two weeks if that's what it ends up being? Will he be able to mentally handle coming in 
and playing great and winning and then not getting to start the next game, you know, that kind of thing. So, you know, so I think there are still questions, but yes, on the surface of it, um, given the, their skill sets and given their abilities, yes, they do have two very good goalies and, and I like them. And I, I just think that that stuff's got to be worked out. We've got to, we've got to see it. You know what I mean? What do you think ultimately becomes of Ryan Strome beyond this year, entering the final year of his contract that pays him $4.5 million? Do you think he's a lock to be extended, or could you see the Rangers exploring a different avenue at second-line center? No, I don't I don't think he's a lock to be extended. I definitely don't. Uh, I like him. I think they like him. They, you know, they... They didn't name a captain, but on Monday they uh, they named six alternate captains, and he was one of them. Um, so I think that uh, they like him. They like what they see. He's not simply a creation of Artemi Panarin because when Panarin missed those three weeks uh, last season, you know, uh, with the, those uh, you know the issue with the story in Russia and the accusations and all that, and he needed to take some time away. So he was gone for three weeks, and Ryan Strom uh, didn't miss a beat. He played great. So I think that they're convinced now that Ryan Strom is a legit um, centerman in this league, and and I think that they would be happy to keep him in that role uh, as their number two center and as as Artemi Panarin's you know partner. However, uh, they do have Philip Hedl, who is uh, you know uh, a 22 year old guy. Right now, he's he's in the role of third line center. But, you know, he scored a hat-trick on Saturday against the Islanders' full lineup in the last preseason game. So, you know, there, you know, he's, he's a guy now. He's 22. He's entering his fourth season, and he's ready, uh, we think, to take the next step. And so we'll have to see. I mean, if this guy shows them that, you know, he, uh, you know, he's ready for more, and he is ready to be a number two center. Then uh, I don't. I, I don't think that they need to bring back Strom. I mean, because then you can just move Heedle up uh, to be the number two center, and then you know Barkley Goudreau can be your third line center, and you know you can reconfigure the lines uh, in some other kind of way after that. So, no, I, I I don't I don't think that Strom is a lock to come back. Uh, but I I do think, you know, they like him, and, and I think it really almost depends on on what what happens with Heedle. The other thing is. Heedle could end up getting traded as part of a package to go get something that you need, right? So you got to kind of see what happens with Heedle, whether whether he he shows himself uh, ready for the you know for a promotion in the lineup, or whether he gets traded or whatever. So that's to be determined with Strom. Well, Colin, thank you very much for taking time in your day to come talk to us and uh, stay safe and uh, enjoy the season. Yes, yes. Thank you very much. I'm very much looking forward to it. The fall, uh, fall is here. The leaves are turning, and it's hockey season again. So what <laughs> yes, could be better is. than that, right? <laughs> yep. Talk soon, Colin. Thanks again. Okay, gentlemen. Thanks for having me. All right, everybody. That was Colin Stevenson. Uh, Got to say, probably one of the better guests we've had on lately. Uh, definitely an informative team about uh, a very interesting uh, rival here in the New York Rangers this year. Yeah, he really knew uh, everything there was to know about the Rangers, and he kind of shed some light on how big this season could end up being for the New York Rangers. And I think that, you know, coming from a Flyers perspective, it was so imperative that they made the impact moves that they made this summer because right down the highway, you have the New York Rangers really just charging up the rankings in terms of where they're going to fall in the Eastern Conference. And uh, I don't know, man. Uh, 
at this point in time, would you just kind of consider the Flyers and the Rangers on even on an even plane right now, or would you slightly put the Rangers above the Flyers? Well, until the season gets going, and obviously the Flyers have been wrecked by injuries and just overall lack of center depth, but uh, I would assume, at least right now, it would put them pretty much on the same level of teams that could surprise this year. Um, and that's kind of the thing with the Metro Division overall, is you got a lot of competition. You know, I think the Islanders in Carolina are up there. The Penguins and Caps, it's a matter of whether they can still go, you know, kind of waiting for their downfall that never seems to happen. You got the Rangers and Flyers that, you know, are, are have big expectations, but we don't know what they're going to look like. The Devils have had their big summer. We talked to uh, whoever the hell was the Devils guy a few weeks ago, and, uh, you know, they seem poised to make some noise this year, but we've seen them, quote-unquote, win the offseason before and fail miserably, but this time it feels a little bit better, and... You know, I don't think the Blue Jackets are going to be anything overly serious this year, but there is at least enough firepower on that team and, and goaltending to theoretically not make them basement dwellers. So it's going to be a very, very competitive division, and we'll have to see, you know, we'll get a better idea of what this looks like after a couple of weeks in the season and, you know, who's rising and who's falling and see where any of these teams start to shake out. And the thing is, is that they have added a lot of toughness, like Reeves yeah. and Blay and Goodrow. They still have some tough defensemen in like Ryan Lindgren and Jared Tenorti if he's playing. Um, Kevin Rooney, I believe, is a big hit, like hard-hitting guy. And this is a team, I believe, that they're poised to, if they get in the playoffs, they can make some serious, serious noise. And they have the elite talent up front, like... You have a guy like Mika Zibanejad, who I would say is almost on par with uh, Sean Couturier. Sean Couturier is probably the better overall the centerman, but Mika Zibanejad has more of a dynamic offensive ability. Obviously, Artemi Panarin won the best wingers in the NHL. You have some guys in Lafreniere and Kako who are just scratching the surface on their theoretical uh, offensive ceilings. Ryan Strom, who is better than every centerman on the Philadelphia Flyers as of today, not named Sean Couturier. And then a veteran like Chris Kreider, who we know what he brings to the table, being hard to the net and can score in his own right. So, I mean, I like what the Flyers did, but when I look at this offensive group of the New York Rangers, both offensively and from a physical perspective, I don't know if the Flyers could match a group like this. Like, I do believe that the Flyers have a deeper and overall stronger defensive group. But again, do they have an Adam Fox back there? Not even close. Yeah, this is... Like you said, not the team you'd want to square off against in the playoffs, and just kind of, kind of hope that their, uh, you know, regular season issues can uh, keep them out of the picture. At least from a Flyers perspective, we don't, we, we don't need any extra competition in the playoffs than, uh, you know, the Islanders. But uh, pretty much quiet on the Flyers front. They did make their final cuts last night. Most interesting bit of news: they claimed Patrick Brown off of waivers. Now, I'm sure most people, when you saw that noise, said, "Who the hell is Patrick Brown?" I know I didn't. Uh, <laughs> captain of the Charlotte Checkers and their championship team in 2019, I believe. Henderson Silver Knights last year. Uh, he's a roommate of Kevin Hayes at BC. So, of course, there's a Kevin Hayes tie-in here. 403 <laughs> AHL games, 63 goals, 154 points. Just 33 NHL games, 2 goals, 3 points. And, uh, you know, because he was claimed he's making the open night roster, he pushes Garrett Wilson back down to the AHL. 
I wonder if Garrett Wilson ever was going to make it or if he was kind of a placeholder while the Flyers searched the waiver wire for their guy that they were looking for. And they clearly wanted Patrick Brown. I mean, by all accounts, he's a great guy. You know, Jesse Granger, who uh, has been on the show before, uh, you know, stated that they were not, you know, thrilled that they lost this guy. They apparently saw something in him. And I guess he's just one of those depth leadership fellows that, uh, that, that you want to kind of build. And, hey, he's making the Flyers this year. So I guess it'll be his time to, uh, you know, see if he can crack the NHL on a full-time basis. Well, Garrett Wilson, I kind of got the feeling that they wanted to at least give him a fair kick at the can because there is still that lack of physicality that the Flyers have on their roster. But, I mean, you saw him play. Like, the Wilson-Thompson-Albay-Kubel line, like, that was kind of painful to watch in the game against the against the Capitals. And I think when you have an opportunity to bring in a guy like Patrick Brown, who does have a personal time to Philadelphia with Kevin Hayes, and as you mentioned, uh, it was well-liked by the uh, Vegas Golden Knights. Now, he only played, like, what, in four games last year, nine games in the AHL. But, I mean, this is a veteran guy. He's 29 years old, and he's locked in at cost certainty, and I believe 750000 That is the league minimum, if I'm not mistaken. So, and, you know, the Flyers who are right up against the cap, you know, they only project to have a, sh- a shred over $43,000 at this time in salary cap space. I think having a guy like that to be your 13th slash 12th forward in pinches is exactly what you need. Because even a guy like Jackson Cates, his cap hit was 925. A guy like even Morgan Frost, I believe, is uh, eight some eight hundred thousand something. Yeah, eight sixty three point three three. So, I mean, the Flyers are in a position where they're going to need to save all the salary cap space that they could get. And Patrick Brown is a guy that I believe probably knows his role more than a young guy who's still trying to find his way in the NHL. And you know, I spoke to Mike Yo about that, and I wrote in my piece that they did want to get some guys who took pride in depth penalty killing roles. And a guy like Patrick Brown, who's 29 years old, that probably is right up his alley. So I assume that Brown is going to start with uh, Thompson and OB Kubel. I wonder if he's going to play center or left wing. I would assume maybe center, so uh, Thompson could play on his strong side and then switch for faceoffs. But I mean, I saw some people getting mad at this, and I'm just like, well, I, I think <laughs> it just comes down to people just hating any fourth liner yep. ever. So. I mean, it is what it is. Obviously, he's just going to be the 13th forward and will be a placeholder for Hayes until Hayes comes back. But uh, one thing I wanted to run by you, and I heard Manny talk about it on Frequent Flyer, where he said that they probably would have been a better better team had they just put Morgan Frost in the center ice position in favor of Scott Lawton. Where do you kind of fall on that? <sighs> I... I, I, you're probably, I, I think Manny's probably right, but I don't think it, it's necessarily better as much as it is just kind of drawing even with a higher offensive upside. And I mean, Christ, I, we've ranted about Frost for years on the show and a lot over the last few weeks, but you know, it, we've seen Lawton at center for a long time. We've seen him at 3C, and whether he's officially the 2C or 3C this year doesn't particularly matter. He's going to be tandeming with Frost. That entire middle six is fairly interchangeable at this point. Um, But uh, I don't know. The thing with Frost is it's just clear he wasn't ready yet. His overall game just wasn't ready. And there was a... uh, (laughs) There was a highlight clip of, I think it was Saturday night's preseason game in Lehigh, where he had a couple uh, pretty, you know, pretty plays, and uh, 
is, oh, you know, they made a mistake sending her down. They made a mistake. And this is how Frost got his hype to begin with is you look at a seven-second highlight reel of a very amazing play, but you don't take into account, you know, the other 15 minutes he's on the ice, you know, and the, the overall two-way aspects of that game. And that's kind of been Frost's downfall to this point is, you know, the offense can be pretty, but the rest of his game just isn't up to snuff, and the highlight reels are going to skew the perspective of what he's actually bringing to the team. So, in that sense, you know, I don't know. I, I think... I, I can't imagine Frost is in Lehigh for a long period of time, given that Hayes is out right now. I, I do think that they don't... You're, at sooner or later, Broussard and Lawton is not going to work. And I really like Broussard. I think he's been good. I do overall like Scott Lawton, but there's a lot of weight for those two to carry by themselves right now. And Hayes, I mean, Fletcher talked about kind of rushing him back last week, said they expected more in the six weeks than the eight weeks of the timeline, which theoretically is great, but this is a guy who's had two major abdominal surgeries in, you know, six months. And rushing him back is not going to do anybody any favors, the Flyers or Kevin Hayes, from a health perspective. So I don't know what they end up doing here. You have Giroux, but I don't think anybody, including Giroux, really wants to play full-time center role at this point, especially in a top-six role. Um, I don't know. Frost probably gives you the better chance to produce offense, but from a two-way perspective, Lawton is probably your guy. So, I have no idea. We'll have to see how this center depth ends up shaking out, but right now it is certainly a concern heading into the year. It is, and I mean, I look at the center depth right now, and I'm looking at some of the games that they have just in October, and you have Vancouver, you have Seattle, then you have a tough stretch with Boston and Florida, and then they go to Western Canada to play Edmonton, Vancouver, and Calgary. And in my head, I'm saying, I'm not sure if that would take them right to Hayes' return, assuming he is on the six-week period. That would bring him back, what, in early November? Something like that, yeah. So in my mind, I'm saying, like, could you hold your head above water with Vancouver, Seattle, and Edmonton, Vancouver again, and Calgary with Lawton and Broussard as your two three Cs? And I think theoretically, yes. And I guess the only thing I could really think of is that if Frost was going to make the team out of camp, it was going to be as a player that they didn't want him to be. And I think that you may have run into a situation where he was trying to change his game to stay in the NHL. Yes, and you really yeah. don't ever want that from a player of that high of a, of a ceiling. And you know what? Sometimes it happens, right? Like we all know that Scott Lawton – had to go down to the AHL and change the way he played the game from when he was a first-line scoring center with, uh, I believe he played with, uh, who was it, Kitchener? or I'm blanking right now. Or Oshawa, I Oshawa, think it was. I the believe, Oshawa yeah. yeah, and then he came back up, and I believe he credited uh, Scott Gordon to this, that he was able to change the way he played the game. And now he's always kind of found his niche as like a bottom six grinder Swiss, Swiss Army knife. So, I mean, maybe that's the way it goes for Frost. I don't think so. I just don't think Frost has the same skill set as Scott Lawton to translate that game. And I don't think the Flyers want Morgan Frost to change his game to that respect. You know, we've talked about it before that let's just say hypothetically Frost's game really only translates to the NHL, but he has to be on the wing. Then I don't think he has a place on this team because of how many good solid wingers this team has both right now and in the future. So I guess if I'm playing devil's advocate here, they probably said, we don't need just an everyday body 
to be a passable middle six center. We need a dynamic offensive threat that can bring some offensive creativity and bring up the players around them. So if they were just going to have an everyday, you know, good two-way reliable center, they might as well go with what they know and try and get Frost games going down in the AHL. And I think it was you that put it out that Frost and Forster are on a line together. And who better to get two guys to develop chemistry than Frost and Tyson Forster? But, I mean, as I wrote my piece this week about the Philadelphia Flyers, I think that either way you shake it, that if March comes around and we're still having this debate, they're going to have to go get an impact center. And that doesn't mean a Derek Grant. It means, like, a Thomas Hurdle or a Dylan Larkin. Yeah, they they need something. And, you know, Frost wasn't exactly making any mistakes during the preseason. You know, he was trying to be very defensively responsible and not be a complete mess like he has been in the past. But it was also very clear watching him that he was trying so hard to not screw anything up. You know, that, that it was overtaking his usefulness as a player. And, you know, you just don't need somebody focusing that hard on a two-way guy. And... and Frost's offensive ability, I don't think, is strong enough to forgive any defensive faults he has. You know, and and I think that's ultimately where he would fit well on the wings. Is you don't want him playing center, you don't need him with that kind of responsibility. But you don't have the luxury to plop him on the wings right now because you need a center. But yeah, it's just you're you're it's such a catch twenty two with Frost, and I ultimately don't know where he falls in here if he cannot hang. At the center position, I don't think there's a lot of room for him. You know, you mentioned Forrester, uh, who's coming up. Wisdom, theoretically, you know, could be here in the next little while. Samu Tuomala could be here. You know, all these wingers you have, Elliot Desnoyers, you know, I don't know if they're anywhere close within the next two years, but they could be reasonably here in the near future. And you just, if he cannot play C, there's not a lot of room for him here. And I don't know, it's just... I'm glad to see that he is working on the two-way aspect of his game because it was something that I was not enthralled with in the AHL in 1920. But, you know, I just don't know if he's a player overall dynamic enough to be able to successfully integrate a very solid two-way aspect into his game while still producing offense. You know, the, the Sean Couturier nature of his game, I just don't think it's there. He's not that kind of player. I think he's a guy that if you want the NHL, you're going to have to tell him to focus solely on offense and just kind of forgive the defensive mistakes, but the Flyers are not in a position to do that. And if Hayes was healthy and Frost was a capable hockey player and you just want to plop him at 3C to see what he can do, that's one thing, but you don't have the center depth to help out defensively there, you know? So you're, you're stuck with Frost being this weird player in the meantime while you're looking for the center depth. So I don't know. I don't know what the plan there is. Uh, they're going to start the season without him. I would assume he gets at least some time in Lehigh Valley. Their, their season doesn't start until the 23rd, I believe. So we shall see how that situation, uh, situation ends up shaking out. But, uh, you know, obviously I guess the <laughs> the time when they bring him up will depend on how well Broussard and Lawton can hold down the middle six in the meantime. Assuming they would want to go get an impact centerman like a Hurdle or a Larkin or to a lesser extent a Nick Schmaltz, they would have to move a body, right? Like a significant salary to bring that guy in. And I'm just looking at the team here, and obviously one of Lawton and Limblom kind of jump out, but as you've kind of said numerous times, the PR nightmare with moving Limblom would probably sway them away from doing that. 
Scott Lawton, like, I mean, when everyone's healthy, he's kind of a fourth-line player, but we're kind of seeing right now the value of having a Scott Lawton, right, that you can kind of mix and match him anywhere on your depth chart. So if you're going to acquire a big-name centerman, my eyes can't go anywhere else but from Travis Konechny's yep. name. Yep. And is he a guy, in your opinion, and I guess you could also say JVR, but I think it's because Konechny carries significant value. But is Konechny a guy that you would move to bring in a Hurdle or a Dylan Larkin? Your three biggest value trade pieces on this team right now are Travis Konechny, Morgan Frost, and Travis Sandheim. I mean, that's it. You can throw JVR in there, but, you know, between his age and contract, I can't imagine that there's a whole lot of teams doing backflips for him right now. But, yeah, Konechny's your guy if you're looking for a trade. Um, you know, he, by all accounts, came into camp in great shape and was great and doing all this stuff right. And then during the preseason, I don't feel like I noticed him once. Um, you know, he just has not been the same player since the 2020 playoffs. Um and this will be a, a kind of make-or-break year for him. I wrote about that a couple weeks ago. Um, but you have the depth on the wings, and, you know, unfortunately, with Allison is starting the season on the shelf with a high ankle sprain. But, I mean, if he's healthy, when he's healthy and comes back, you know, and Travis Konechny isn't producing, like, Allison could quickly overtake him. And, you know, if they feel Forrester's ready and they could call him up this year, there's another body on the right side. You have so many wingers right now that... Travis Konechny is not nearly the integral piece to this team that he was two or three years ago. And if his production cannot live up to it, well, then you know what? You trade him away and you acquire a center, right? There's just, that's how this team, that's how this business works. And, you know, I realize Konechny is a fan favorite because he makes a lot of faces. But from a hockey perspective, this is the time of year where he has to put up or shut up. He either goes out there, and I believe he's going to start the season probably on the top line right wing uh, with Couturier and Giroux, but, you know, I, I can't imagine that that is a guaranteed spot right now. You have Cam Atkinson on the right side, and you know, uh, Farabee can go on either wing. So we shall see, but uh, as far as trade targets go, yeah, is your guy right now. Well, because the way I look at it is that aside from adding – a centerman and uh, this is again assuming that the flyers don't find a bona fide 3c and either broussard locking down that job or morgan frost i think they would add stand to add a little toughness i really do think so but a guy that can play and for me this is obviously just like me thinking out loud but a guy like antoine roussel he's a, the exact type of player that i could see the flyers wanting to add like imagine you get a fourth line of uh like Lawton Thompson and Antoine Roussel going into the into the uh, playoffs, or you take Thompson out and you put uh, Roussel, Lawton, and Nabe Kubel. So in addition to that, you need that centerman, and you would kind of have to take someone off the roster. And just by process of elimination, to your point, I don't think JVR is really going to get it done because he doesn't really move the needle because of aging contract. They're not going to move on from Cam Atkinson this short after acquiring him. Lawton and Oscar Lindblom, I don't see those guys getting traded. And it just kind of leaves Travis Konechny. And I'm happy that they're putting him back in a position to succeed because he has had significant um, success alongside Katori and Claude Giroux in the past. And I know people get caught up on what he did leading into 2019-20. And he was amazing back then. But, you know, we're a full calendar year where Travis Konechny has been poor to bad at times. And 
I mean, I know people love to say that he's the one of the best five-on-five uh, goal scorers in the NHL, but he's the kind of guy that I've always kind of equated him to like a poor man's Brandon Gallagher. And if you're not going high to the net, I don't think he has enough raw skill to play on the perimeter. And I think too often of times we see a guy like Travis Konechny playing on the perimeter and not really getting into the, the gritty areas of the game. And especially on that line with Claude Giroux and Sean Couturier, like Giroux's not going to do that. He's not going to go battle behind the net and try and like go to the dirty areas to score a goal. Sean Couturier is the centerman. He's going to be playing high the entire shift. That's what Travis Konechny has to do. So, and I believe that's what he used to do. And yeah. I know uh, people say like, oh, well, he'll get top power play minutes to- this time as opposed to past years. And in my head, I'm saying, well, there's a reason why he hasn't gotten top power play minutes. <laughs> yeah. Like, like coaches aren't just not playing him on the power play because they don't want to play him out of spite. I think it's because ideally you want him as the net front guy, but he doesn't work hard enough to establish a position there. And he's not creative enough to play on the half wall like where Giroux would play. So where are you going to play him? In the bumper position? I suppose that's a good option, but that would leave him on the second unit because on the first unit, you want a left shot playing on the bumper position so he could get the one-timer from Giroux. So I don't know. I'm happy that they're giving Konechny a good chance to succeed. I think it's something that's needed. And, you know, I think it's warranted. I think if anyone needed to get the first crack besides Giroud and Couturier was Konechny for past reasons. But at the same time, if he can't establish himself as a legitimate top uh, line guy and a contributor on the power play, I don't see how he isn't a guy that you potentially shop to acquire a hurdle or a Larkin. Yeah, and and giving him all the time that he needs out of the gate goes well later because you'll get a better idea of what this guy can do. If you're giving him every opportunity to uh, to succeed and he does not, you have a pretty clear picture of his future here, right? You just got to kind of move on from him part ways and, you know, let Allison take over, let Atkinson take over and just kind of give them the, 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 the time instead. And, you know, I, I don't know. I've never been Travis Konechny's biggest fan. You know, three consecutive 24-goal seasons isn't nothing, but, you know, it's nothing spectacular. He's only hit 50 points once. Um you know, last year, 11 goals, uh, 23 assists, 34 points in 50 games. You know, those numbers are not terrible at eyesight, but I just feel like he was a complete non-factor for so much of the year last year. And during the playoffs, a complete non-factor. You know, whatever the hell happened from his pretty good 1920 season to the 2020 playoffs to last season, whatever changed, you know, he's got to figure it out and, and get his game together and, and be a useful contributor on the team because, you know, he is your top trade target right now, especially for the team like the Flyers that are going to need help pretty desperately, regardless of whether Hayes comes back, you know, healthy or not, come, you know, be the, the trade deadline looking for some center depth. And if you want to add somebody legitimate, you're going to have to give up somebody legitimate, and that would be Travis Konechny. Well, it's like, and you have to think about it from another team's perspective. Like, what other players would you want here? Like, in and I and they have to take a player off the roster. It can't just be all picks and prospects because you have to make the money work. So, assuming that the Flyers have to part with a big name player with a high ticket, aside from Sanheim and aside from Konechny, who really would that guy be? And I think even Sanheim, depending on where Cam York is at in three months from now you may not even be able to part with Travis Sanheim. So I 
I understand that people get very attached to players. And again, this isn't us saying that Konechny is a bad player. It's us saying that he's a good player, but is expendable because of the position that he plays. And I don't really think that Travis Konechny addresses a real niche of this team. No. Like, he's not a true goal scorer. He doesn't play center. He's not overly physical. Like, those are the three things that the Flyers really need right now. And in my opinion, we'll absolutely have to address leading into the um, into the playoffs. And to your point, if Tyson Forster, by some grace of God, bangs down the door in, let's say, January or something then who else is he going to bump? Like, look at the right wings in front of him. Like, Farabee's here to stay. Atkinson's here for the foreseeable future. So what, like, Forster's going to play on the fourth line and bump Abe Kubel? We know that's not going to happen. So, and then to your point, what happens when eight Alice, when Wade Allison's healthy again? I think Allison could theoretically just overtake Abe Kubel and play on the fourth line with significant power play duty. But, I mean, with Konechny, he just screams like the type of player right now that you would rather take that talent and salary and allocate it to the middle of the ice because I don't care how deep you are on the wings. If you're thin down the middle, you're not going to go far in the NHL playoffs. And this is even including Hayes coming back. Like, let's say everyone's full healthy playing to their best potential. Do you think a top three center depth of Couturier, Hayes, and Broussard is good enough to win a Stanley Cup? Probably not, no. And that and that's where it comes down to for me that I mean, I, I kind of said this last week, I believe, about Travis Sanheim that no matter how good he plays this year, next time, like next season around this time, I don't really see any which way I could see him on this team because of the salary cap or with Travis Konechny, no matter how good he plays this year, more so because of the position they they he plays and then the need that they have at center. I'm not sure if I see him having a long-term fit on this team just because of how badly they need a centerman both right now and in the future. And aside from Travis Konechny, who are you going to use to get that guy? And I mean, the only other realistic name that I could see fetching us like a solid middle six center would be Oscar Lindblom. But then it comes back to the whole PR nightmare question. And he does make two and a half million dollars less. So I mean, I think sooner rather than later, push is going to come to shove and Konechny may be the odd man out, but that doesn't mean he's a bad player. I think even if he has a good season this year, he's still the odd man out. And at the end of the day, you get a boosted trade value because he had a good season. I, I, I just think that he is the guy who's just kind of looking for a spot. And financially speaking, $5.5 million, I mean, the Flyers are screwed cap-wise this year, and GVR will probably, hopefully, be a casualty of that um, going into the year. But if you want to make any other significant changes rather than just keeping your head above water, you know, Konechny is going to have to be the guy, uh, salary cap-wise, it's going to have to fall. And, you know, Lindblom, that, that idea was floated this morning. Dylan Strom's name's out there. I questioned that, and somebody said, well, you know, you can... Trade Lindblom, the cash will work out well, and it would, but I, I don't see a scenario where you trade Lindblom this early after the whole cancer thing. It just feels like a horrible, horrible PR move. Um, you know, I, I'm not saying he's going to be on this team till the day he retires, but you may want to put a little distance between the ongoings and when you ultimately part with him. He's under contract for one more year after this season, and then we'll have to see. He's still an RFA at that point, so... We shall, we shall see how that ends up working. But uh, yeah, I don't know. They're going to need some help down the middle, regardless here. And in the short term, um, 
you know, I, I really have liked Broussard's play overall uh, during the year. You know, Lawton, I do like Lawton. We know what he is at this point. He's fine. But, uh, man, those two as your <laughs> second and third line center with, you know, whether Brown or Thompson on the fourth line center, that is... Uh, that's not bad. Those are three, you know, decent players at their job. But good lord, you want to talk about a weak center depth there? You got Couturier, who's you know twenty eight and kind of on the down a decline, whether people want to admit it or not. And you know Lawton, Broussard, and Thompson. Jesus, man, that's a that is a weak weak center depth. And you just got to kind of hope that the depth on the wings and can can overcome the shortcomings and they can score a whole lot of goals. Uh, in the last little while here until Hayes comes back. And even when Hayes comes back, I mean, you can't imagine he's at 100% out of the gate, especially if they opt to rush him back. So, I don't know. It's a, It really is a shame. This is the one thing that we talked about all offseason long, you know, how great of a summer Fletcher had, and he did. He made a lot of really smart moves, a lot of good additions. But to not address the 3C in any kind of proper fashion felt like a mistake because it's been a mistake to leave that hole open basically since Braden Shen left and you still didn't address it and it's going to bite you before the season even starts. So, you know, hey, maybe they should have got uh, Sam Reinhardt after him. If it were up to you, which centerman in a perfect world would you want them to go get at the NHL trade deadline? Oh, jeez. Um... I don't know. I guess Hurdle would be the big name right say now. Con- you can't say Connor McDavid. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know what the uh, you know market's already looking like. Obviously, Hurdle's the big name. Who knows if he's with the Sharks uh, that long? Um, you know, I have no idea. I, I, I don't know. I need to look at some lists here and see what the um, the upcoming free agents look like and whatnot. But you know, Hurdle would be a good name. Hell, if they want to snag Jack Eichel, I won't. Uh, I won't complain. But uh, you know, could be. Uh, I don't know who they're, uh, like I said, you know, very on-the-spot question here. We need to look all this up. But, yeah, Hurdle would be a good name. Um, I don't know if the Red Wings would ever consider parting with Larkin or whatnot. But, you know, somebody of that caliber that is a very, very good player that, you know, can come in and reasonably claim your 2C out of the gate, push A's to 3C, maybe even challenge Couturier for your top line right now. Like, that's the kind of guy they need. You need somebody substantial here. You cannot find another Band-Aid player, you know, your Derek Grant or a Nate Thompson comparable or even a Bassard. You know, you need somebody of legitimacy here to to take a top six center role and kind of run with it. And, you know, ideally a younger guy, too, that can handle this role for, you know, the foreseeable future. And uh, that'd be prime target. I don't know who that is by name right now, but that'd be who you're looking for. Yeah, well, it was kind of to segue into me talking about Dylan Larkin, and this isn't me starting a rumor or anything, but I guess it was just after um, we talked to Max Boltman last week, and he said there are no untouchables in Detroit, and I started asking around the NHL a bit, and, you know, Dylan Larkin was dangled last season, but I think it would take an Anthony Mantha type of deal and package to bring Larkin or pry him out of Detroit, so, I mean, I guess the question would be is, like, if it was, you know, Larkin for Konechny and Morgan Frost Deal. and a, a couple <laughs> and plus, 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 that's something you would think of? Sure. You know, we just talked about Konechny not having a place here. Frost, I think Frost needs a team like Detroit where he can make the NHL, he can make all the mistakes he wants, and he can have that learning curve and deal with all the struggles and whatnot. 
in the NHL, but there's no pressure on him to to be good right now. Like, that's what he needs. And that's ultimately why he doesn't have a spot with the Flyers this year is the Flyers are in go time. You know, they don't have the flexibility to have Frost costing them games on a nightly basis while he learns the ins and outs of the NHL. They need, you know, Frost needs a team like the Red Wings where you can lose, you can have your bumps and bruises, but it ultimately doesn't particularly matter right now. And in a year or two, he's going to be a very good player. Like, that's what he needs. So, in that sense, and, you know, the Flyers get somebody like Larkin who, you know, has struggled numbers-wise the last few years, but he's in Detroit. I don't expect anything else, you know. Uh, but a guy that is very, very good, still on the young side, can handle that role, with, but with the experience. And that would be a, a solid little target there. And giving up Frost and Konechny and, you know, a first-round pick or two would be a, be a fair target for someone like that. And he has cost certainty, too. Like, another year after this, it's $6.1 million, and you're kind of kicking that inevitable can down the road that you will have to pay him a lot sooner rather than later. But I mean, as opposed to adding a guy like Thomas Hurdle, who is going to be a UFA next summer. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, like, and again, this is all just spitballing and, you know, there, there's no legitimacy to any of these rumors, but I do think that that's the type of player that you'll need to acquire if you they want to seriously be a cop team. Like if they seriously want to be a cup team, I think Larkin's the type of guy they'll need to add. Like, you could like get by with adding, you know, like a decent third line center and whatnot. But I mean, I just I think it's mostly because I don't think Katori and Hayes are close to being the best one two centers in the NHL. So if you wanted to really become a legitimate cup contender, you would have to like really swing for the fences and add a guy like Larkin to kind of do it by a committee type of standpoint. But if you had an art Larkin, that would kind of push Hayes down to the three C and it would just, I, I think it would just cause bring a lot of excitement because like you said, you're bringing in a young centerman. And I think for like the first time in, I don't know how many years you could say, okay, these are the top three centermen for the next five seasons or so. Yeah. You, you need somebody of legitimacy here and you know Hayes and Couturier even if those two are both healthy and at the top of their game I think they're in the good but not quite great category and especially given their ages you know Hayes is 29 uh, Couturier is 28 I believe for, uh, turns 29 in the next uh, couple months here so yeah it's uh not great that they're <laughs> lack of center depth man after all these years we're still talking about the lack of center depth and big ways to address it it's crazy, but at least next time we talk, we'll have actual games to review, which and we'll 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 know we'll have one game to review, and we'll be previewing the preview, second game. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's good. Yeah, uh, Flyers play Friday night, open the season against Vancouver at home. They take on Dave Haxtell's Seattle Kraken on Monday. Uh, we'll be previewing that game. We'll be back on Monday. I'll be back uh, Friday with Frequent Flyer. Um. Not really sure what we're doing beyond that. Not a lot of shows scheduled this week, everyone. Been a bit of a slower week compared to the seven shows last week, so it's uh, good on well, my end. But, next uh, Monday, go ahead. Next Monday, we'll be back with uh, Scott Powers of the Athletic. So there you we go. We have that to look forward to. Yep. And uh, yeah, I think we're doing post game with Nick next Monday as well, and then I believe Sisterly Pod returns uh, next Wednesday. So oh, all nice. kinds of uh. Fun things to look forward to here in Brotherhood Pod, even though it's a slow week. We're not slowing down for long, everybody. We're back to uh, full strength here as the season begins. So, 
Uh, at Dan the Flyer fan, at Brotherly Puck, at Brotherly underscore Pod. Uh, plenty of stuff up, uh, stuff up on the website. And uh, Anthony, where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at Demarco 25 All right, everybody. Until next time, goodbye and good night. Yeah! Yeah!